Welcome to the First Down Rundown podcast, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. Uh, It is, again, Matt hosting the show tonight. Hayden, as I mentioned in the last episode, and I'm probably going to keep saying it just for people who kind of come come in and out, you know, not not necessarily listening to every episode, which you should uh, if you if you like the podcast, which I'm sure that you do if you're listening to this. And if, the, if, this is, if this is your first time, then I hope you enjoy and please listen to all the other content that we have loaded up on the feed. Yeah, so it's normally me and Hayden. We're usually going back and forth. We got stuff to do or, you know, we got stuff to talk about. We have, you know, t- t- always plenty of content to, uh, to be had. Uh, unfortunately, Hayden, as I mentioned in the last episode, is... In his last year of college, it's kind of his semester before he's done, and uh, for whatever reason, he decided to take a bunch of hard classes. He's also working for the football team there, uh, which is, I think, a pretty cool experience, to be honest, and something that I probably would have wanted to do uh, while I was there. So uh, he is he's pretty just just really busy on a, on a nightly basis, uh, and therefore won't be joining me for the podcast for the better part of probably most of the fall. Uh, we'll see kind of once we get into the next semester and the spring semester what. Uh, what he's thinking about then, uh, and, and at that point, I think that'll probably be when we'll kind of we'll, we'll kind of just kind of dive deeper. I think into you know really trying to bulk up the social media content as well as trying to stream on YouTube uh, to just kind of get some listener involvement uh, because that's something that I mean we you know we we've kind of wanted to maintain over the course of you know the last three years that we've been doing this. But obviously, right, you know he's been in college. I was had just finished college when I started, you know, kind of with him. He's been in college the whole time. And so there's never really been a, I guess, a, a, a you know, a super tight schedule locked in, uh, you know, per weekly basis that we've been able to do this. And we've actually, we used to be doing, um, we used to do two episodes a week, but obviously, you know, that's kind of a little bit in flux now. But I think we'll definitely be able to get back to that, you know, kind of in the spring semester for for Hayden once he takes some easier classes uh, next semester. Maybe you know more into the kind of the winter, uh, you know, pretty much when the calendar turns, right? So once you kind of get into that next uh, next period of school, should be pretty easy to to get us both on here and potentially even do uh, you know maybe more than one episode a week. So with all that being said, uh, that is kind of why you're only going to be hearing my voice, but again that's uh why i'm here is because i'm still doing it despite you know despite hayden not really being able to join me this is just kind of my passion this is what i love to do and so i am so happy that all of you would love to share in that passion with me and 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 support or deny my opinions whatever whatever that may be as i always say leave a rating on the show whether on spotify or apple or there's like three other i mean there's google podcast there's there's all these other podcast apps that that are able to be listened to from the show and we we get all of them right we I mean, we see, I see people listening from from all of the media platforms. Um, so please leave a rating on the show to tell me how good or bad you think I am. What I can improve on. What I do well. What I do absolutely horribly. And you're like, I, I turned it off because because you're just so bad. Um, I'm I'm that is I'm fine with that because you know there's always there's always room to improve and and uh, we just more than anything like to just kind of uh, you know just just a, a great opportunity to. Um, to engage with the listeners. So uh, now that all of the beginning and intro stuff is out of the way, which I know that you didn't come here for, you came here to listen to, uh, listen to, to hear about sports, right? Uh, and that will be, I mean, obviously we're going to kind of go over uh, the, the NFL week that was, right? Kind of the, the big storylines coming out of the, uh, you know, the, the, the 16 games that transpired this past Sunday, as well as some pretty huge games in college football, a really kind of banner week for the college football space after two you know, kind of lackluster weeks as it pertains to kind of the bigger games and, you know, marquee matchups uh, that, you know, that we're kind of build up to, to see on a, on a, you know, on a weekly basis here. Uh, this past weekend was probably the best college football Saturday, unfortunately, the best college football Saturday probably of the entire year in terms of just like how many ranked teams were playing each other, how many, you know, big games there were in the close matchups. And all of that, uh, that you know, kind of everything that comes with that. So we'll get into everything, college football, the biggest stories, and and, and everything like that. And then obviously, um, as I'm recording this, it's it's Wednesday, September 27th, and uh, today Damian Lillard was traded to the Bucks, and so that's a a pretty huge storyline in the NBA, uh, one that I know has kind of been surface level. You know, a lot of speculation, not a lot of actual, you know, stuff going down uh, over the past few months here, really ever since the season even ended, right, with the Heat and kind of how much they, you know, thought that they were going to get Dame and, you know, they were going to trade away Tyler Hero and all this stuff. And really none of that ended up, ends up coming true. The Bucks were kind of 
Never really a, a player in that, at least to my knowledge, right? It was the Raptors as of late. Uh, as I said, it was the Heat uh, early on. So, so, so yeah. So we'll get into we'll get into the Dame trade kind of at the end of this. Obviously, too, this comes at a a rather auspicious time, seeing that the the NBA season tips off, and I think I think that next week, maybe maybe a, a week and a half uh, from now. So it's it's right around the corner. It's 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 here, and I think that this this news is kind of a you know it's obviously a breaking storyline, but also like I said, kind of as a good transition into hey, the season's about to start, despite what seems like it's been kind of a short time you know short time period uh, ever since the the season ended, and we saw. Um, we saw the Nuggets win the win the uh, NBA championship last year. So let's get in the NFL for the week. Obviously, the biggest storyline is, I mean, everywhere. It's going to be the Dolphins and and their absolute dismantlement uh, of the Denver Broncos on Sunday in a seventy to twenty victory. That uh, that's a scoreagami. Which, if you're not sure what a scoreagami is, it means that there that that is a final score combination that has never occurred before, right? So there's it was seventy to twenty. There's been ninety points scored in an NFL game before, but the exact score of seventy to twenty uh, has never occurred in NFL history before. Uh, obviously. You'd hope that that's the case, right? Because uh, the Dolphins ended up being three points shy of the all-time record for points scored in an NFL game. They were also second in total offense accrued in, a, in an NFL game. I think it was, you know, 750-something yards uh, was second all-time, I think, in, in total points and total yards. The funniest thing coming out of this is that the fact that you know, you say, oh, well, who scored the most? Who, who, who had the most yards? Because it's, you, you know, keep saying, oh, the, the Dolphins were second in all of these categories. Well, the funniest part is that they're second to the, these, like, Rams teams from, like, the 1950s. And you're thinking, okay, hold on. Like, all I know about football from that long ago is that they basically had no pads and no helmets. And it was just a couple of guys running around on a muddy field with, uh, you know, just trying to get the better of each other at the line of scrimmage. And it's, you know, it's it's rough and tough and rumble down the field until someone's able to score. I th- Believe me, I thought the same thing. But somehow these guys are out here figuring out the triple option or something, putting up this many yards and points per game. It was also obviously a different level of competition in that that long ago, you, you know, I mean, that wasn't even the Super Bowls hadn't even happened at that point. So this is you're talking kind of before the merger of the of the two leagues, the AFL and the NFC. And and I think that, you know, that when you're talking that far back again, it kind of you kind of get under the, the threshold of like, OK, there's professional teams that are playing back then who were clearly, you know, professional teams and, you know, were built and, and you know, paying their players and whatever. A lot of these teams are kind of playing like rec league you know, kind of, kind of, just random people off the side of the street who who weren't necessarily athletes. They were just kind of joined together on a team and decided to play against a professional league uh, team there in the '50s. So I think that probably is a little bit of the of an explanation as to how these teams in the '50s were able to score 73 points and put up like 800 yards of offense, and that hasn't been done uh, again now until now here in 2023. But obviously, the story coming out of this is the fact that you know the Dolphins have been hyped up, uh, especially kind of. I mean, preseason, I was on to them, and I've said in the last few episodes, and I'm going to keep saying it, I bet this, I bet the Dolphins to win the Super Bowl at 25-1 to 1 preseason, because I could really see, I, I said, look, you know, I, I see the potential here. We saw the potential, we saw how well everything was kind of working last year, but then obviously Tua had the concussion issues, and that kind of really, that kind of threw everything off, especially when you consider the fact that Mike McDaniel had this offense already humming, you're right, you had Tyreek Hill already there, he was he was playing great, you had Jalen Waddle the mix, and you know, and, and you're off and running, and we, we saw them perform really well in, in a few games, but then obviously as Tua gets hurt, and then you have Teddy Bridgewater come in, Teddy Bridgewater then gets hurt, and then you're left with Skylar Thompson, so, you know, you, you kind of go all the way back to the first playoff round, the, uh, the, the um, divisional round playoff or no, the wild card playoff game last year. Uh, the Bills actually played the Dolphins in the wild card playoff round, and that was at Buffalo. Uh, and and Skylar Thompson started that wild card playoff game. So it, it, in, in the in the annals of history, as it goes down, Skylar Thompson starting a playoff game and almost winning against Buffalo, who was you know a, a, a Super Bowl favorite at that point, uh, will will probably be forgotten. But but uh, I, it, it's. It's very interesting that that I think was the case, and the combination of events that led to that happening in the first place was, uh, you know, w- w- was pretty cool. But even then, right, we saw that this Dolphins team was able to play against Buffalo with Skylar Thompson, their third-string quarterback, who'd never started an NFL game before. He was a rookie, you know, starting quarterback, and 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 it was still kind of working. And so you're thinking, all right, well, if Tua can get his act together, well, I guess. I guess I shouldn't phrase it like that. If he can, if he can recover healthily from this, you know, from this concussion and these injuries, 
well then this thing should be a pretty well well oiled machine and that's exactly what we've seen so far uh this year and, and obviously you know you kind of have the shootout game against the chargers where they only win by two points but it's 36 to 34 uh the second game they played the patriots on sunday night football and for as much as we like to say oh the patriots are dead without tom brady I think Bill Belichick can still coach up a heck of a defense, and, and the Dolphins won that game 24-17, right? So you only win by seven, but but again, you know, you handled the Patriots in a game where I think the Dolphins were only two-point favorites. A lot of people were picking the Patriots to win that game. The Dolphins were leading the whole time. Uh, in fact, they were up 24, I think they were up 24-10, uh, and, the, and the Patriots got a kind of a last-second touchdown there. So, uh, and then obviously we had this game uh, this past weekend against the Broncos, and 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 there's obviously a tale of these. This these are two teams who are going in complete and utter opposite directions as of now. And I mean, could we have seen this coming? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of we we kind of have. Uh, I, I believe that you know Hayden and I were pretty both both of us were pretty high on the Dolphins coming into the year and kind of both had the sentiment sentiment same sentiment when it came to the Broncos in that like okay Sean Payton's going to be an upgrade especially when it comes to the offensive end and, and being able to coach up uh, you know the the guys on offense but it's not necessarily you know he he is not able to play like he is the coach and he will scheme things but it's like it's up to the players to be able to put this stuff out and execute on the field and. The weird part is that last year, the offense was everything that was holding them back. The, I think the stat was that the Broncos, if they had scored, I think, 18 points um, in, in at least 18 points in all of their games last year, they would have been like 11-6 and six and made the playoffs and like, you know, almost won the division over the Chiefs. Uh, but instead, they were 5-12, and 12, right? And so, like, that was kind of the end up, the, the fate that they ended up with, uh, you know, such a great defense and such a horrible offense. Well, weirdly enough, it's the exact opposite this year. And I talked about this a little bit last, uh, last week on the podcast. In, in obviously, you know, they're kind of embarrassing lost after being up 21 to three against the commanders and losing that game 35 to 33. The offense is looking pretty good. Russell Wilson has clearly improved on whatever he needed to do improve on since last year. He's a little bit more mobile. He's extremely efficient. He's actually, I think, like just behind Patrick Mahomes. I think he's second in the NFL in terms of like efficiency and completion over, you know, completion percentage over expected and you know all the all the all the nerd stats uh he, he's performing at in a very at a very efficient rate the problem is though again like i said this is the defense which obviously was top of the nfl last year in most categories uh especially you know point you know defensive points scored yards allowed the, the, you know the denver broncos were, were top five in pretty much every category what happened though and i mentioned this on last week's episode, episode as well is that they lost their defensive coordinator uh, ijiro evero is his name uh, he now is is uh, he's the defensive coordinator now for the Panthers, who have p- looked pretty good on defense. Obviously, you know they they've basically lost their lost most of their starters at this point. So I, I don't think that they're going to be you know some uh, a crazy great group going forward. But but we saw the the transition, and I think that I mean the the Broncos didn't really lose that many pieces. Like if you have you know an Aaron Aaron Donald or a, you know a, a Nick Bosa or T J Watt, you know these 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 absolutely game record type of defensive players. And you lose one of them, well, yeah, that's that's going to affect you know that's going to affect things pretty heavily. But the, the Broncos didn't really lose anybody. They still have Patrick Sertan, who's one of the probably top five cornerback in the league, if not the best, and he's just not getting any credit for it because he's playing on a, on a what now is a horrible defense. Uh, and, and 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 so it was just kind of just a bunch of regular guys last year who ended up having one of the best defenses in the NFL, and that's why we see this year they're absolutely the opposite of that, and and you know have let up the most points in the NFL by far. And looked like one of the worst defenses, obviously, maybe outside of the outside of the Bears. But but and the only thing you change is getting rid of your defensive coordinator, right? So this guy, Ijiro Evero, is is probably, I mean, in my mind, should should be considered for kind of to be one of the best defensive minds in 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 the league right now. He just gets his guys to play, and and obviously, you know, right now he's in Carolina, he's not having any success. But like I said, half the team is injured, half the starters are out. Uh, Shaq Mason or Shaq, sorry, Shaq Shaq Thompson, their their uh, star linebacker, he's out for the year now, right? You had J.C. Horn, he was a first round draft pick, I think seven overall a couple of years ago. He's down. I I don't know if it's for the entire year, but but for at least for a while, I think they lost another offensive or defensive back. Um, they basically only have Brian Burns, and that that's pretty much it. Um, at, you know, left on that defense, so. A little bit unfortunate there for for Ijiro Evero, who is like I said, you know, one of the kind of the, the biggest up and coming coaches in the league, uh, in my mind. So I think kind of taking all of this in, we we see that obviously these teams are going in opposite directions. I think the kind of the, the conclusion here is to think, well, what's you know, I guess what's kind of the will this continue? Will the success of the Dolphins and the overwhelming just 
you know, firepower of offense and, and, and absolutely dusting all the teams they play, is that going to continue? Are they going to be able to maximize that potential and or on the other side, are the Broncos absolutely doomed for this year? And, you know, I, I mean, obviously – they weren't necessarily, I mean, they, I think their win total projection coming into the year was eight and a half, right? Which essentially means, are they going to go nine and eight or are they going to go eight and nine? So this wasn't projected to be the, the year previous when they ended up being five and 12. Their win total projection was 10, right? So they was like, all right, they're going to be an 11 and 16. And obviously, as I said, they could have been an 11, 11 and 16 if they had scored 18 points on offense every game. Uh, but, but this year was a little bit of a regression in terms of the expectations for this team where we're basically seeing, you know, they're, they're, they're about a 500 team, right? Even record, you know, that's kind of that's kind of the vibe of, of where they're at. And uh, starting out 0-3 is not a good a, a, not a good supporting case for the fact that they're going to go over eight and a half and have a winning record this year. Uh, especially seeing that their first two losses were to teams in the Raiders and the Commanders at home, mind you, in Denver, where the air is thin, and that's the biggest home field advantage in the entire league. Uh, that's supposed to be easy wins for you in those first two games, and they lost both of them. So I think I think the I think the Broncos are probably probably doomed for the season. I think that the it, it's kind of you know it's kind of already it's it, it's it's already gone a lot worse than uh, than most people were thinking. And so I think it, the interesting question now is like okay, well you you paid all this money to Russell Wilson. You also sent picks to the Seahawks for Russell Wilson. You also this is gonna gonna go unnoticed, but they also sent picks to New Orleans to get Sean Payton because you got to remember there's all this weird legal stuff in the NFL where Sean Payton stepped away from being the Saints coach, and because he decided to do that on his own, the Saints still owned the rights to him. Essentially, I know that sounds kind of like a you know like a like a like a not a great term, but that's kind of the way that. I guess this this works in my mind is that they own the rights to having him as as their coach, and so if anybody else was to want to hire him as their coach, they would have to you know compensate the the, the Saints for that, and so obviously the Broncos did that. So they they've leveraged their entire future for. You know, an aging quarterback in Russell Wilson who looks okay this year, but the defense can't do anything as well as a, a coach in Sean Payton, who's an offensively minded head coach. And obviously, you know, he won a Super Bowl with the Saints. He's a, he's a, he's one of the best head coaches currently in the game. But he's he's also scheming on the offense, right? And so that's kind of the, I think the forgotten thing here is like the, the the Broncos for whatever reason I think assume that they'd be fine on the defensive end and just be able to bring in Sean Payton and, and he'd coach up Russell Wilson and the offense would be fixed and then they'd be this great team. Well, let me let me inform you. Um, if 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 the defense had had been performing this year at the same level that they had had last year, this team would be three and zero probably. Well, may, I mean, I guess. With this Dolphins offense, if they scored 70, even if the defense was what they were last year, they, the Dolphins probably still would have won that game by a pretty significant margin. But you at least get those two wins in the first two games, each of which they lost by one and two points, respectively. So if this defense is any as good as it was last year, they're winning those first two games. They're 2-1 and one to start the season. Russell Wilson's looking good. He's looking effective uh, and very efficient. Uh, but but the defense is what's absolutely holding them back, and I, and I don't see that changing really at all. Uh, especially like I said, with the fact that like the first two games at home, which is the best home field advantage in all of football, and you lose to the Raiders and the Commanders, who now we're seeing have performed pretty terribly in the last two weeks. Each of them, right? So so that's that's I think kind of the the other part of this is the fact that the teams they lost to were not supposed to be good. They looked good against the Broncos, and people were thinking, oh, well, the Raiders are probably better than people thought. The Commanders are probably better than people thought. Well, no, because each of them actually played the Bills in succeeding weeks and lost, proceeded to lose 38-10 to and 37-3, to respectively, okay? So so I think we can kind of nip it in the bud that um, the Broncos uh, will, will not really have it this year. And the Dolphins, as I as I mentioned before, I, I see I see ultimate potential for this team. Obviously, Tua is the MVP favorite. Tyreek Hill is the favorite for for Offensive Player of the Year. Um, I think they might be the favorite to win the AFC right now. I know that their their Super Bowl price is kind of like second or third, obviously behind like the 49ers uh, and the, and the Chiefs and the and the and you know kind of even there with the Bills. So so this is a team that is absolutely in contention to be the best team in the league, and I think that. You know, again, as long as Tua stays healthy, as long as kind of their defense is able to get, and I think that's probably the one thing that they, if you know, if, if that needs to change or not needs to change, but I think that they could kind of work on a little bit more is on the defensive end. But they have a defensive coordinator in Vic Fangio, who is probably the best defensive coordinator in the league. I think it's just taking a little bit of time to implement his system, right? Because anytime you have a great defensive coordinator like that, 
they usually have a very unique system, and that's why it works so well for them. But for these guys who were playing a completely different system last year, they have to relearn the plays. They have to relearn the calls. It's a lot of, you know, and, and in that type of situation, you're not going to get the best experience just in a practice setting against, you know, your, 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 you know, the offensive players of your own team. It's almost like you have to have in-game experience to be able to kind of implement and have success with a system uh, like Vic Fangio's that, that he's brought in there. Uh, so moving on now to, to some other games. The Texans and the Colts, both of, well, two, the only, two teams in the AFC South who were projected to be, you know, two of the worst teams in the league this year. Uh, obviously both uh, drafting highly in this past year, in this year's uh, this draft. And both drafted rookie quarterbacks in C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson. Uh, both teams, though, got pretty big wins over better, much better competition. The, the, the Texans beat the Jaguars 37-17. to So they won by 20 in a game that they were underdogs by 7 points. So they completely out, outperformed the spread by 27 points. Uh, on the other hand, the Colts went into Baltimore... Uh, and where they were, I think they were eight and a half point underdogs or something like that. They win the game outright. They win in overtime uh, in a game in which they they actually had they, um, their kicker, Matt Gay, hit five. This is the first time it's ever happened in NFL history. Five field goals of 50 yards or more. And the funniest part about this is that it was against the Ravens who have, as we know, Justin Tucker, who's always been heralded as the best kicker in the NFL. Not only did he, well, I guess they... Could have gone for it on one. They didn't go for a field goal at one at one point. That they had a chance, whatever. But at the end of regulation, they go for a sixty-one yard field goal, and, and Justin Tucker missed it. So uh, it was a little bit of a, a, a dueling kicker matchup here, and obviously a score that ends twenty-two to nineteen, which is not something that we see very often anyway. And when you do see a score like that, you pretty much can assume that there's been a lot of field goals that have been made in that game. So I'll, I'll start with the Texans here. I think that. Looking back at kind of what, and, and again, a, a lot of kind of what we do is, is or at least what I like to do, is just kind of look at things from a very fair and balanced perspective and say, okay, what went right here for the Texans? What went wrong for the Jaguars? And I think it was just a lot of missed opportunities on the Jaguars' part. They had four uh, four red zone, was it red zone? I think, no, four, four drives in the first, or I think the first four drives all went into Houston Texans' territory. They got one touchdown out of it, and I think... Two interceptions and a blocked field goal. So, like, you know, or another, maybe it was a fumble, a field, a fumble interception, a blocked field goal. Either way, uh, three turnovers essentially, where you get zero points out of those, uh, you know, out of those trips to the red zone. They also had the, the Texans had a kickoff return touchdown by a fullback. Uh, if you haven't seen the video, go check it out. It's 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 actually kind of crazy because the Jaguars did a squib kick, a fullback who never touches the ball. He, he essentially tries to catch the ball on the kickoff. He fumbles it. He muffs the kick. He picks it up and then just basically runs for a touchdown. And the Jaguars, like, weren't there to defend him at all. And it was kind of weird. He didn't even – he was surprised at himself that he that he was uh, that he was going to, you know, that he'd be able to make it to the end zone there. So a very – a great win, obviously, for the Texans. And C.J. Stroud has performed probably the best out of all of the rookie quarterbacks so far in their first two games against the Ravens and the Colts. They got down early, right, in both of those games. And so CJ Stroud's numbers in terms of, like, his passing to st- statistics uh, have looked really good. But in the first two games, again, you're, you're pretty much out of it. from the. They were losing by, I think, 20 points in each of those games, or at least, you know, somewhere around there. Uh, and so at that point, the, you know, the, the defense kind of kind of gets a little bit softer, right? They're not they're not pressing as hard. They're not coming after the quarterback as much. And so CJ Stroud was kind of taking it easy. He was able to take advantage of some easy opportunities in terms of, you know, basically just garbage time, right? Where the, the team that's winning is up by a lot, and so they're not going to be fully focused and really try as hard as they would, uh, if you know, if it was a one-point game or, you know, a one-score game. And so he was kind of, I think, but I think that kind of, that kind of gave him some, you know, some practice and said, okay, well, hey, you know, I can I can build up my confidence doing this. And I think that, that really showed through in this game against the Jaguars now – the other side of this, the Jaguars' defense is not good at all, and I think that was kind of the one, um, you know, kind of the one worry coming into the season, at least for me and Hayden, kind of you know going through our preseason notes. Where, yeah, this offense is great; they performed really well last year. You have, you know, they, they I mean, they won two games the previous year, and then they won, I think, what, what was it, ten games last year? Uh, and and you have Doug Peterson coming in. He's a, you know, he just won a Super Bowl in in, in Philadelphia in 2017. He's going to be coaching up Trevor Lawrence. You have wide receiver on the on the outside, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk. You know, Evan Ingram, guys who kind of have been, you know, kind of afterthoughts in their previous destinations come to the Jags. They're, you know, they're they're looking great. And then you add Calvin Ridley to the mix, 
who's now their number one wide receiver, and you know this offense is going to go off. And you know Travis Etienne, they drafted Tank, Tank Bigsby, so this offense was always going to be good, but the defense has been the issue. And I think they were twenty fourth or twenty fifth in the league last year, and looking like pretty much the same so far this year. So. I, I don't I don't think that this is really like a panic zone for the Jaguars. They also have they play in London this coming weekend against the Fa- against the Falcons. So and they actually have two straight games in London. So I think it also could have been a situation where the Jaguars sitting up there, they're like, hey, we're more than a touchdown favorites, you know, at home to the Texans. Like, you know, they were basically, I think, looking ahead to this to this London trip where it's like, right, if you're that big of favorites to a team that you know that you're gonna be able to beat. You might not you may not go out there with as much fire in your belly as you would if it's a playoff game, right? Um, so I think all of that being said, I think that it's it's a probably um, I don't want to call the Texans win fraudulent because they I mean they put up thirty seven points, they won by twenty points, so it's not like it was a, a crazy play at the end of the game where you know the Texans were able to, to to convert it and you know and win the game. But I do think that you know this is probably one of those situations where you know it, it, Jags were just looking past the Texans. They wanted to you know, they're moving on. They got a big London trip. They got two straight games in London. That's a lot, I think, to kind of consider, especially when the competition coming into your own field, you know, on, on a Sunday uh, is, is not the is not the best in the NFL by far. So uh, so I think that was it was an interesting, obviously, result overall and great for the Texans who were able to get get a division win. And uh, and, you know, we'll kind of see if they can improve off of that. Similarly, the Colts, who got a win over the Texans last week, uh, went into Baltimore and, like I said, kind of just kind of just converted on their opportunities and won the game. Um, I would say, if anything, this is probably more of the fraudulent win. The the, the Ravens had plenty of opportunities to, to to just kind of put this game away and never really seemed like they were able to do so. Um, and, and I think that the big thing here is it, it was at the end of the game, and the uh, it was right after the Colts had gotten a safety. So Gardner Minshew, he backs up. He's, he's driving. He's, he, keeps, he keeps on backing up. You're like, wait, what is this guy doing? He steps on the white line out of bounds and then gets the safety. And so the Ravens are now up 19 to 16. And this is important. There's two minutes and three seconds left. And as we all know, there's a timeout, essentially a, a, a given timeout because the TV timeout and whatever, at the two-minute warning. So what happens is the Colts punt the ball, because that's what you do after a safety. The Colts punted the ball to the Ravens, and if Zay Flowers, who catches in the end zone, if he brings it out and wastes three seconds, it automatically goes to the two-minute warning, and after a three-and-out or whatever, the same offensive plays that transpired, the Colts would have gotten the ball back with, like, 35 seconds left and had to go, you know, whatever they did, you know, 40 yards or something like that. It's improbable, well, I was saying, it's possible, but extremely improbable for that entire situation to happen. But instead, Zay Flowers... Uh, fair catches it in the end zone, basically giving the Colts a whole extra timeout. And so the Colts, instead of getting the ball back with 35 seconds left on the clock, they get the ball back with a minute 45 on the clock, and they're able to drive down and kick the field goal uh, to win it in overtime. So, again, a little bit of a phony result, I would say, in terms of, like, and again, obviously credit to the Colts. They took advantage of the opportunities. It was in Baltimore. That's a tough place to play. The weather was kind of weird with the, you know, the uh, the tropical storm and everything that was going through the East Coast last week. So there, there's there's a lot of this to where you do have to give credit to the Colts for taking advantage of the opportunities that they were given. Because especially because, again, this team is not necessarily, again, they have a rookie head coach. They have a rookie quarterback. Like, you're not expecting this team to be competing for an AFC playoff spot, but obviously they're winning games, and I, and I think that's that's obviously something to to, to take into consideration uh, as we as we go forward. And two, you know, depending on what happens with Jonathan Taylor, if he stays there and they get Anthony Richardson back, and now you have an offensive line that's actually you know they're they're starting to move people around. Um, you know, uh, um, Josh Downs is, is coming into his own as a wide receiver. Alec Pierce, you still have there. This offense could be could be pretty underrated in terms of what they're able to do kind of later in the season here, maybe in the back half of the season. So I would look for the Colts to kind of become, you know, one of those teams that's uh, that's a little bit under the radar and, and kind of, I think, can, can, can make some noise in the back half of the season. The next thing I want to go over is the Jets and the Patriots. And this just, if you watch this, I just feel bad for you, man. I mean, if you, if ugh. You need another stream or something, because or move. Just move to a different location so you don't have to get these games anymore. And we knew it was going to be low scoring. I think I said in this, on, the, on the podcast last week, the total for this game, the over-under, was 36.5, which I don't know if I've ever seen a total as low as that. And guess what happened? They only scored 25 points in the game. So it, it didn't even come close to that, you know, that total of over or under. You were you were laughing if you if you took the under. And, and we, and we kind of knew it, right? I mean, obviously... 
Ever since uh, Aaron Rodgers went down, we've pretty much said, with Zach Wilson at the helm, as much as he's kind of been thrown into this situation and, you know, not really ever had, I guess, a, a fair chance to succeed, he's at least been able to get experience and it proves to have not really done too much, right? And I think that's kind of the that's kind of the sentiment that we need to take from this is like, Yes, it's fine to, to continue to give him chances, but he's started for almost, well, he started for almost two full seasons so far. This will be his third. I mean, obviously they signed Trevor Simeon. I'll get to that in a little bit here. But, like, at some point, you kind of got to pull the plug, and I think that's probably what the, and, and that's the funny part, is that the media, even their own players, everybody around this organization is saying, please bring in a quarterback. It can be a veteran quarterback. It can be a Matt Ryan, a Carson Wentz, a Phillip Rivers, right? It can even be someone who's kind of out of contention in the, in the, in the uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things right now. The Vikings are, I think, going to get rid of Kirk Cousins at some point. Bring in Kirk Cousins, you know, to the Jets and, and trade Minnesota a bunch of picks. Minnesota's 0-3. They're probably not going to the playoffs. So, I... There's a lot of options that this Jets team could have gone, and 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 Sala, for whatever reason, is basically just every time he goes to speak to the media, he's like, "Yeah, no, Zach Wilson's our guy," and it's like, I get it. You want to give the chance, you want to give the kid a chance, but he's had plenty. I, in my mind, he's plenty. He's had plenty of chances, and like he hasn't improved. Right? There, there's a difference when you know rookie quarterback comes in there and he sucks in his first couple of years. Okay, that's fine, but eventually it gets better, like or at least becomes serviceable. To the point where you can be scoring more than ten points a game on average, you know, during the season, and and it just has not happened for Zach Wilson. So as I, I think, as unfortunate as it is, we're we're gonna see the end of uh, the end of his reign there uh, with with the Jets coming here soon. And I don't know if that again they signed Trevor Simeon, who is pretty much equitable to you know a, a Carson Wentz or a, or a Matt Ryan at this point. He's a, he's a very veteran quarterback who's been in the league for a while. Been with a bunch of teams, a bunch of a bunch of different offensive schemes, and and I think too, and I have heard the argument that 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 Robert Sala, in his defense of Zach Wilson, or at least his his intention to continue on with with Zach Wilson as the head uh, the starting quarterback. There's been theories floated out there that like he's he's only doing this to basically save himself the job and basically be like, oh well, that's the only option we have, and you know, as much as the defense is really performing well, it's gonna be another losing season for the Jets, who have had plenty of losing seasons in the past. And he's only doing this because he's gonna save his job and give him another year, you know, to be able to build his team and, and potentially get, you know, kind of renew his contract and whatever. I don't really buy that because again, the option is there. And it's like you gotta at least try to win these games. You gotta try to bring someone in and shake things up a little bit. And Two, we already know, like, if you're a Jets fan, right, even if you're not a Jets fan, you know that when Aaron Rodgers goes down and tears his Achilles in the first game and he's out for the season, the season's done, okay? You have no shot with anybody else. And that's, I think, kind of the, 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 the at least what I'm taking out of this, is the fact that, like, I don't think it should be that big of a story. Like, whether they start Zach Wilson or Trevor Simeon or they bring in Matt Ryan, like, what? Whatever it ends up being, the season was lost on the fourth snap of the Monday Night Football game against the Bills when Aaron Rodgers, you know, tore his Achilles and is out for the season. So I, I, I'm going to give him a pass. Like I don't, I don't really have a super strong, a strong opinion other than it is a good idea to at least bring in someone else, such that you know Zach Wilson's not the only quarterback on the depth chart because I think that's kind of what they're dealing with right now. And so whether it be you know you start him the next couple games and if he really doesn't you know improve at all then you you know you put in Trevor Simeon or maybe you you know play him half and half whatever it may be the season's already lost and you're, you're not getting that back so I think that that's probably uh, you know probably something that 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 should be considered at least kind of going forward in terms of the Jets season that it was kind of over before it began obviously very unfortunately we're going from bad to worse here because now I'm going to talk about the Bears and. For whatever it's worth, um, I kind of knew that this was going to happen. Um, I I said I bet the the season win total in the Bears was seven and a half. I bet the under like pretty heavily before the season started. Um, this team did nothing in the off season to improve other than get DJ Moore, but like. And they drafted Darnell Wright from from Tennessee, but then it's like the other tackle, the tackle on the other side, Trevon Jenkins. He's gone. He's out for the season now. Um, and 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 the defense. They they brought in. Um, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Tremon. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess it up, but whatever. Um, and and the 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 linebacker from the Bills. You'll be able to get it when you know we you know what I'm talking about. Um, and then they paid him a boatload of money, but it's like okay, a a, star, a middle linebacker is not going to improve the entirety of your of your defense. That's just not how really not how this stuff works. And so I think that you know. With, with just just coming into the season, I could tell that this was not going to be a successful season for the Bears, 
And here's the the biggest problem is the fact that Justin Fields was was like one of the like top ten MVP uh, favorites coming into the season, and it's like, what is that based on? <laughs> like again, the kid's an athlete. He's performed really well in garbage time, and he's you know he can run, and that's fine. But he's had no, absolutely no success in the passing game up until this point. And I think that was kind of the, the sentiment was like, oh, well, he has no receivers. Well, now he has a number one receiver and he's not even throwing to him. And then obviously last week in the middle of the week, I think it was that, this was actually, it might have been right before I started the podcast last week or maybe it was maybe it was right after, I'm not, I'm not sure. But you had all the drama coming out last week where, you know, Justin Fields in a, in a press conference basically comes out and says, yeah, the 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 offense is just really robotic. I don't I don't feel like I'm an actual quarterback when I'm running this. He completely throws the offensive head coaches under the bus, and um, and, and then and then comes back and it's like, nah, sorry, dude. Like I was just kidding about that. And it's like, wait, what? Like, first of all, I mean, there's no reason to throw your quarterback your your coaches under the bus. If you have a problem with that, you you you, know, you address that on the side. And second of all, like. You're a quarterback in the NFL, and that means that you have to drop back and throw the ball. And I, and I think by his comments basically being like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be me a lot more, and which means obviously, you know, running and, and, and what he did last year. That's all That's all fine and good, but, like, the, the like defenses are going to be able to key up on that. They're going to put a spy on you, and they're going to be able to defend you better than they were last year because last year was kind of the breakout year in terms of his athletic ability and everything. But here's the – ultimately – what happened? The Bears were three and three last season. At one point, this team was three and three last year. They then lost eleven straight games to end the last season, and they've lost the first three games of this season. And I don't see that stopping anytime soon. So, the, and here's the craziest part: is the fact that the Broncos, who are also zero and three, and lost by fifty points last week, are now three point favorites, road favorites in Chicago against the Bears this week. I think that tells you all you need to know about how bad this Bears team is. Uh, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. I just kind of wanted to get it out there that, like, this team is bad. I saw it coming in, you know, before the season. I don't know what people saw in Justin Fields. And and, and he's going to have to learn how to become a quarterback. Like, if it's whiteboard stuff, like, if he doesn't understand, you know, if he, I, like, you know, reading defenses, being able to, you know, get in check with your wide receivers, like, if that's all issues, that's stuff that needs to be figured out in the offseason or at least be, you know, tried to be improved upon during the season. Like, a perfect example, right? They're they're losing forty-one to three against the Chiefs, and if any time, if there's any time to get real game time experience, again, first of all, the Chiefs have already taken out their starters, so he's playing against the backups, right? For the Chiefs, if there's any time to want to, you know, improve as a passer and be able to get in touch with your receivers, start reading defenses, really, you know, kind of try to implement what what could be the potential of Justin Fields as a passer. It would be when you're losing 41 to three against the best team in the league, okay? And, and, and but they didn't do that. He's like still running around and, and scrambling. He's throwing like crazy, you know, midair passes to DJ Moore, who's making great catches. But it's like it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense for for what this team needs right now. So uh, unfortunately, the Jets and the Bears have are kind of in the same situation. Um, at least the Jets have a good defense because the Bears have really not, neither of the two, uh, and and potentially will be. Uh, the, the worst team in the league this year. In fact, I, I probably, th- I mean, obviously with the Cardinals win, which we're going to talk about next, that, uh, that that might be shaping up for, for the Bears to to really be on track for only having a few, if not, you know, close to zero wins uh, over the course of the whole year this year um, in the NFL. So the next game, and kind of the last game I'm going to go over in depth here, um, is the Cowboys' loss to the Cardinals. And this was kind of what I was saying before about the, the Jaguars, who were seven-point favorites, and they ended up losing by 17, uh, or 20, sorry. Uh, the, the Cowboys were kind of in the same situation. They were 12-point favorites, and they ended up losing by 12. So kind of a 24-point uh, underperformance as according to the spread by the Cowboys this year as well, or by, you know, this past week as well. And this was just an interesting game all around. Obviously, the Cardinals, as we know, uh, were 0-2 coming into this game. But in both games, in the, you know, the first game against the Commanders, as well as their second game against the Giants, they were winning in, I think, the fourth quarter in both games. Uh, and, and then just kind of ended up folding down the stretch. And, and there was a lot of talk, right, about, okay, well, yeah, I mean, this team is supposed to be the worst in the league. And they're going to be tanking to get Caleb Williams or Drake May, you know, in the, in the, dra- in the upcoming draft. This year they're going to get rid of Kyler Murray because he's you know he's been hurt and they don't want to you know basically bring him back to win you know five games and they get like the sixth pick when both the best quarterbacks are going to go you know number one and number two in the draft next year and so a lot of people are saying oh well you know they're 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 
they're out there, you know, trying really hard in the first half. And then, you know, once halftime comes, they're like, oh, whoops, we're, we're winning. So we have to try to lose now so that we can still have a bad record. But we don't want to sound, we don't want to seem like we're tanking. So we're still going to try in the first half. Like, what, what are people out here convincing themselves of? Clearly, this is a team that is motivated to play. And, and it's a first year head coach in Jonathan Gannon, who was a defensive coordinator for the Eagles last year, the past few years. He, he doesn't want, I, I mean, imagine being a coach. And being like, yeah, you know, it's my first year here. It's my ultimate dream to come become a head coach in the NFL. And um, I think we're, I'm, pro- I'm probably just going to have my team lose. Like, I just don't understand that that's like what people come to conclusions about. And in addition to that, on the player's side, you're, you're not going to, if you're told to lose, you're not going to get, I, I just, I, I refuse to believe that they would willingly go out there to throw these games, especially because a lot of these guys are either veterans or well, as I say, veterans looking for their first or their last contract in the league or rookies who are looking for their next contract in the league. And and so if you're on the last year of your deal, you need to perform, right? Because the film says everything. And if you play to lose because the organization, quote unquote, wants you to, then then you're not going to, your career is done. And it's like, we're talking about the livelihood of people. Like, obviously these guys make millions of dollars. That's all well and good, but they also basically stop working in the NFL once they're at an average age of like 28 years old. Okay. So there's like the rest of your entire life that you have to do something else with. So as much as it, as much as they make a lot of money up front, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of your life left to go where you're not playing football. Uh, and that, you know, you need to take advantage of every possible second that you have so that you can continue to make those millions of dollars. And I think that if every one of us listening to this and me, myself included, we're in a situation where, you know, your, your your livelihood and your you know a few million dollars dependent on you trying really hard to get that last contract or your team telling you to, to, to intentionally lose games I think that we would opt for trying to get a, a couple more billion dollars in the bank right so that's my take on the whole Cardinals thing they're not tanking the tanking doesn't happen it happens in the NBA that's for sure it happens in the NBA um, but but on a football team where there's 22 starters at all different positions and it's you know it, it, there's never a guarantee as to what's going to happen. I think that was kind of what we saw the result of this game being. Now, on the other side, we have the Cowboys who were, after the first two weeks, people were saying this is the best defense in the NFL. This is potentially the best team in the NFL. They're, you know, the favorites alongside the Niners to, you know, to, to make it out of the NFC to, to go to the Super Bowl. And I think it was kind of a, there, there was a splash of cold water thrown on all of the um, kind of the, the, the Cowboys hopers and truthers out there this past week. Now, again, I, I think this is probably a very similar situation that the Cowboys were in, as I talked about with the Jaguars earlier, right? Who you're going, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're going against a team that you're supposed to beat by a lot. And you have a tough game, you know, kind of coming up in your next game. Obviously the, the Cowboys are playing the Patriots this week. They're, they're, I think six and a half point favorites. So they're, they're projected to win the game. But again, Bill, you again, never count out Bill Belichick. I wouldn't be surprised if they, uh, if they turn up and, and, and give the Cowboys a pretty good game. So there's a very, a very true aspect, I think, to the fact that it's okay. Well, we're, you know, we got a road trip out to Arizona. It's a short week. You know, you, you got a, you got a weird body clock kickoff time and, and it's against a team who you're supposed to beat by a ton. And then you got to come home next week and got to play the Patriots and that's going to be a big deal. It, it, yeah, maybe just, you know, we should be able to beat this team. And then it just kind of didn't happen. Now, what I won't excuse is the interesting nature of how this offense is working. Obviously, the defense, you know, it is what it is. And I think the loss of Trayvon Diggs, who is now gone for the year, that's a that's a really big deal because he's your number one shutdown corner alongside Stephon Gilmore. And when you have two, those two guys on the outside, you really don't have to worry about, you know, your corners getting burnt. You don't have to worry about deep shots. You don't have to worry about, you know, the, the, the best receivers on the opposing team consistently getting open and beating it downfield. Uh, and so all you, you, you can focus your entire defensive strength on your defensive line, your linebackers who are able to get off the, you know, rush the quarterback and, and get pressure. And that's what the Cowboys did so successfully in their first two games. And it just didn't happen here. And and I think that that was kind of the first game that we saw without Trayvon Diggs. And I think that, you know, going forward, they're going to have to account for that, right? Because, again, we keep saying if the Cardinals were able to do this, well, again, the Cardinals scored, I think they've scored at least two touchdowns in every single game. They scored, what, 28 against the Giants and then another 28 here against the, um, or I think 26. No, was it 20, 20? Yeah, I think 26, 28 again against the Cowboys. And so... You know, I think that, that right, that, that there should have been a better defensive performance, but I think that it's something they're going to have to work on now 
with Trayvon Diggs being out. The offense, though, is kind of what I want to focus on. And the fact that, again, you lose Kellen Moore, who was the offensive coordinator. He is now with the Chargers. And you lose Ezekiel Elliott. And for as much as we want to meme about Ezekiel Elliott and how, you know, he wears his, his crop tops and whatever, and how big he looks whenever he comes into the camp, um, I think he provided a a feature of this offense that they're kind of lacking now, right? He got a lot of goal line touches. He got a lot of third, you know, third down touches last year, you know, third, third and short uh, touches where, you know, you, you, you kind of need that that bigger back to be able to leverage his size and strength to be able to convert on those opportunities, right? And and while Tony Pollard is, is you know, a fine running back, you know, a great one, um, he can't really provide you the same attributes that Zeke Elliott did. And I think that's probably something that we're seeing, especially when it comes to the goal line sets and every from, everything from, from the... Um, from the Cowboys so far to where it's a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of questions I think coming out of the offense so far now. And, and Brian Schottenheimer, who's now their offensive coordinator, he was in Seattle the past couple of years and he took over for Kellen Moore, the aforementioned Kellen Moore who went to the Chargers. And it's just kind of looked a little lackluster. Dak is obviously, I mean, he's a quarterback who will give you kind of the the, the best and the worst. I mean, if, if he's playing with a lead, it's like the smoothest, you know, he's going to get you in and out. It, it's, it's not going to be a problem. But when he starts to kind of chase and, and he has to make up for a blown lead or, you know, he's coming from behind in the game, while he has a lot of passes that look great and he plays really well and overall it's it's fine, there are definitely times when um, when he's forcing balls, he's throwing interceptions. I mean, we saw the interception he threw from like the four-yard line uh, against the Cardinals and that kind of sealed their faith this, this past Sunday. So... It's it's a, it's just a looking a little bit different, and and the team of the Cowboys, who again I were very I was very high on the Cowboys coming in. I said you know they, they probably have the potential to be, you know the, the the best team in the NFC. You know I said if, if I had a Super Bowl pick from the from from the from the NFC, it would it would be the Cowboys, and and I think obviously you know so far we see the the 49ers are are probably you know the correct decision in that uh, in that department, but. You know, it's it's interesting to see the Cowboys kind of perform badly in a game like this, where you know, again, you're suspect you're expected to win by a lot of points, and you know, kind of get your season off to a three and zero start and compete in the division in which the the Eagles, for as much as kind of they haven't looked, uh, I guess as as a hundred percent as they were last year, um, they're three and zero, you know, and and they're in they're on top of the division now. So I think that you know, if you're the Cowboys, obviously the loss of Trayvon Diggs is huge. And it'll be interesting to kind of see what they're able to do going forward to kind of, you know, waver the loss of, of you know, their best uh, their best defensive, well, eh, yeah, probably their best defensive back. I was going to say, Stephon Dillmore is probably their best defensive back, but it's probably, I would say they're probably about equal. Um, so I think that kind of does it for, for the NFL section. Obviously, I kind of went a little bit longer than, than I wanted to, at least. I guess a little bit, um, and, and so I think I covered a, a lot of what I wanted to. Obviously, there you know there were other games. Uh, the Packers. I'm a Packers fan. Shout out to the Packers for getting that crazy win against the Saints, one point victory. I I, I love seeing that. Um, got a big game Thursday against the Lions now, so we'll we'll see what comes with that. But yeah, those were kind of the bigger bigger storylines of the week and teams that I wanted to cover in terms of you know we've seen three games from these teams. You know where are they at right now? Where are they going? What's the kind of the you know. Pre- what, what, what have we seen so far, and how does that compare to what we thought about these teams preseason? I think these were kind of the ones that I wanted to highlight a little bit in terms of where we think they're going and, and how we think they're faring so far as compared to what we thought these teams would be coming into the year. Transitioning to college football now, uh, Ohio State-Notre Dame was a great football game. Uh, obviously, the score was 17-14, to 14, so it wasn't you know your high-flying you know, crazy, like, you know, we saw Georgia and Ohio State play a game last year that was just as crazy, probably even, probably better than this game, but it was, you know, we're at 35 to 34 or something like that. Um, it was definitely a lower scoring game. I think it was three to nothing <laughs> at halftime. And, uh, and so it was much more of a defensive battle The you know, the offenses weren't, uh, weren't obviously weren't putting as many points on the scoreboard as, as I guess we expected them to. Uh, but at the end of the day, Ohio State gets the victory, and it was a tough-fought victory. Obviously, this, this the kind of the storyline, the major storyline coming into this game was the fact that you know Notre Dame last year was was pretty good, but just had horrible quarterback play uh, from a combination of Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine. They bring in though Sam Hartman, who's the most experienced quarterback in really in the country um he holds all of the acc records for touchdown passes touchdown or uh, passing yards when he was at wake forest for the past few years 
And we saw his ability to just kind of be smooth, be poised, be calm, and really everything you look for in a veteran quarterback where you can kind of stick him in an offense and, and, and he will guide your team to not lose games, right? And I think that's what he did against Ohio State, right? I mean, that was, that was I think he lived up to the expectation. Obviously, the passing game, it doesn't look fully formed out yet, but I mean, if they're getting push on the Ohio State defensive line in terms of the run game, Ohio, if you can run against Ohio State, you can pretty much run against everybody. So I think, you know, going forward, obviously, Notre Dame's going to have some pretty good success on the ground. But this game comes down to the last drive for Ohio State, where you know they get the ball, they get the ball, and they're down fourteen to ten, and I think they get the ball back with like forty-seven seconds left, and they have to go like sixty-something yards or whatever, and they do it, which is the craziest part. They converted like a third and nineteen uh, down to the one-yard line, then a fourth and seven or something in there too, and the starting quarterback for for Ohio State, Kyle McCord, is a true freshman and really performed pretty well. Obviously, they're always you know he's always gonna, a true freshman's always going to have mistakes and and and. and plays where he could have you know performed a little bit better but I think for the expectations and what you know he was able to perform over what we thought you know that 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 uh Notre Dame would the defense would be able to do to kind of stymie uh Kyle McCord and and, and Ryan Day's plans on offense he was still able to perform especially when it mattered I mean that was a clutch ending to that game he got them out of some pretty Pretty sticky situations and, and, and really kind of led them to victory. Now, the 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 drama, well, the, there's two parts of drama coming out of this coming out of this game. The first part is the fact that Ohio State ran, they had they basically had first and goal in the one yard line, right? They run the first, they run a first play, and it's an incomplete pass. And okay, you know, what are we what are we doing? Whatever. All right, fine. Uh, and then they run a an inside zone to the left side of the of, you know of the, of the center, and um, and the running back you know kind of dives. He barely gets in, and, and Notre Dame or Ohio State scores a touchdown, take the lead, and ultimately win the game. And then it comes out after the game that Notre Dame had ten players on the ten defenders on the field for the for that incomplete for both of those last goal line plays for the incomplete pass on first and goal as well as the run uh, on that touchdown which eventually won Ohio State the game that Notre Dame had 10 players on the field so and if you were watching the broadcast you heard uh, you know the guys in the booth they're talking you know the, the, and they were showing it too on the record they're showing like the overhead view and where it looks absolutely empty on the side that Ohio State ran to and you're thinking you know why it looks like Notre Dame's not even trying to defend this well that was because they were missing a whole guy out there right and if there's a guy there you know the inches that the that the Ohio State running back is able to cross the goal line that uh, that, that probably goes backwards if there's a, if there's an extra defender out there for Notre Dame so really kind of kicking themselves i think after this loss which was really just a kind of a mental error by I, I guess it was the head coach or maybe the player. I don't know who's responsible for this, but definitely was uh, was something to kind of keep in mind as as to what really swung this game and kind of gave it to Ohio State. Obviously, they deserve Ohio State deserves, deserves credit for going you know the length of the field um, you know in such a short amount of time and, and, and you know able to convert and win the game. And after the game, Ryan Day, who's the head coach for Ohio State, gets on in front of the camera in the you know the post game interview, and the lady asks the question like, you know, oh, you know, how, right, the great win out there, coach. You know, how were you able to do it? And he goes off. He goes on this rant about uh, you know Lou Holtz, who's this kind of he's kind of an old guy who's like a, he used to be a really famous head football coach actually um, for Notre Dame, ironically, and and he won championships with them back in the nineties. And so he at one point during the week, Lou Holtz was was in an interview and he said. You know, right, Ohio State's done done very well in the past, but they don't win any of the big games, and that's because their team isn't physical enough. And apparently Ryan Day took that to the extreme level because the lady asked him in the postgame interview, you know, right, right, how did you win this game? Or, you know, what, what led to you winning this game? And he was basically like, well, screw Lou Holtz because, you know, everything he said is a lie, and, you know, everybody doubts Ohio State, and, you know, we played with toughness, and I love these guys, and, you know, it's Ohio State against the world, and it's like, all right, dude, like, hold on. First of all, this is like an 86-year-old guy who's on some random podcast who said some thing about you that, like, okay, whatever, you know? And, and to be honest, to be honest, everything that Lou Holtz said was correct, right? You think about the last two games in Michigan. The last two, last two times they played Michigan, uh, Ohio State has lost both of those games, and honestly, it's because the Michigan was a little bit physically tougher than them. Similar last year with Georgia. They had a chance to win that game against Georgia. They lose, you know? And so I think that, you know, they haven't really won the big games that they were expected. Well, not, not necessarily expected to win, but they've won the games that they're expected to win, but they haven't won the games against bigger teams where, you know, it's it's a closer matchup and they're, you know, it's kind of who's going to come out with this. They, 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 they tend to lose a lot of those games. And so 
I think that you know I, I, I'm not going to say that you know Ryan Day's wrong for you know for 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 being excited and being proud of his players. Like obviously you're a coach, you have to do that. But the way that he goes after Lou Holtz and, and and completely shames the guy on national television for sentences that Lou Holtz said that were you know for the most part correct. And here's the thing. Ohio State was three and a half point road favorites against a team against a top ten team. Okay, so in introspective of everything that we just kind of went over there, you're still expected to win this game. And okay, you, you know you pushed on the spread. Like you were supposed to win. You know, right, projected spread was three, three and a half points. They ended up winning by three. So you met the expectations. You won by three. It was exactly what the spread said. That's exactly what happened. And yes, it was a good win. And they had to come from behind. And they were losing, you know, fourteen to ten with like forty five seconds left. I get that, right? But but if it was a domination, then I would say, okay, you know, Ryan Day comes out and he says how tough his guys are and that they, you know, they proved everybody wrong because of how tough they are. That's fine. Okay, but but again, it was a very close game against uh, Notre Dame's a great team, okay? But it was it was a close game against a really good team, and he had a last second victory on and I'm not calling it a fluke, but I'm saying if Notre Dame had, had an extra guy out there, which they were legally supposed to have, Notre Dame probably would have won that game, right? Or at least had a better chance to stop Ohio State from from scoring that last touchdown. So a very interesting end, I think, to that to that kind of the the I guess what came after the uh, the outcome of that Ohio State victory. But again, they're they're kind of proving that they're here, you know. And, and it's going to be interesting once we get into Big Ten play, and they you know they're playing the Penn State and Michigan. Like those are going to be their big games on the schedule, and it'll be interesting to see who comes out more physically uh, in in those games, respectively. We then had Oregon and Colorado, um, where it was the talk of the town. I spent like 20 minutes talking about it last podcast with Deion Sanders bringing everything to Colorado. And and again, as I mentioned in the last podcast, the best thing to come out of college football in probably the last 10 years, ever since I've really been, you know, really, really into the sport, has been Deion Sanders' in just complete indoctrination of his program, his team, his players, his sons, right, For for t- to be honest. Um and, and how much this means for the sport of college football. I mean, people who have never cared about college football before are now watching it and into it because of the story that Deion Sanders is putting together here. And I love that. I love that for the sport. I think it needs it. And I think it's great what he's doing. The only problem is <laughs> when you're playing against TCU and Colorado State and Nebraska, you're going to be able to look really good and win those games by a lot of points. But when you're playing against Oregon, <laughs> and USC, who they have coming up this week, and Washington, and Utah, and Washington State, teams that are ranked in the Pac-12 who have, um, you know, like, top-notch offenses and, and very talented defenses, it, it's going to be a little bit of a shift in the conversation as to, you know, this team is not is not ready to compete at the highest level in terms of, and again, they're, they're competing at a power five level, but they're not competing for conference championships, for a college football playoff bid at the highest level. And, and, and those are not the expectations. And so that's why I'm going to make this quick, but that's what I want to say as it pertains to Colorado, right? They were 21-point underdogs. They were supposed to lose by a lot of points. They ended up losing by 36 points. They only scored six points on offense, okay? It was 35 to nothing at halftime. Like, that's kind of what I expected. That's what most of, you know, college football fans who kind of knew what was going on, like, you you know that Oregon's going to win big in that game because they have a level of talent that is way above anything that, that Colorado is able to put out there this year. And that's a key because that's this year. This year, Deion Sanders brought in a bunch of, a bunch of transfers from other schools. And realistically, a lot of these transfers are kids who weren't able to play at these other schools who he is now injecting into the starting lineup at Colorado. And on top of that, you don't have a lot of depth. And so when these offensive linemen, defensive linemen start getting hurt, you're losing in the trenches on every single play. And that's not a good place to be in football in general as a sport. (laughs) And so we saw the flaws with Colorado, but we knew that those were the flaws and again, we have to keep reminding ourselves, and I'm going to, you know, if you take anything from this podcast, hopefully you're still listening, take anything from this podcast, it's this. Colorado's win total coming into the season was three and a half, okay? So if you were to bet the over-under on the win total, you were betting that under or over, right, they essentially have three wins or four wins on the season. That was the projection by all of the sports books in, in Las Vegas and everybody that's betting on this stuff and everybody that's projecting what Colorado's supposed to do throughout the season. The expectation was to win three or four games. Well, guess what? They've already won three, right? And they played one tough game against Oregon, who's a top 10 team and probably, you know, the the, the favorite, uh, if not second favorite behind USC to win the Pac-12 and compete for a college football playoff spot. You're not supposed to win this game. You were never supposed to win this game. 
Colorado has already exceeded expectations, and I think that's the story that needs to be coming out of this, right? It's not that, oh, the dynasty's over, Dion was talking so much, and now he got everything shoved back in his face. Yeah, that happened, but 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 we knew that, or at least, you know, you should have known that the imply, or the implications were, that this was going to happen. But what you need to take away from it is the fact that they weren't supposed to be good at all. They weren't, they were, first game against TCU, you know what the spread was? 21 points. Very similar to what it was against Oregon. So I think if we look at it from that perspective, and they beat TCU outright as 21-point underdogs, right? That was what, that was right then, what everything was worth it for Colorado at that point. They win a game in which they're 20-point underdogs. They're not supposed to win at all against a team in TCU who was in the national championship game last year. Granted, they lost 65-7, to but still made it the championship game. And are now playing TCU, or are now playing Colorado, a team that has a bunch of transfers and they're all hyped up, but nobody thinks they're actually going to do anything. TCU or Colorado wins that game, then they beat Nebraska, then they beat Colorado State, and they're three and zero. Now they're three and one, but they still play teams in the Pac-12 like Stanford, like Cal, Arizona State is 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 really bad this year. So they're going to exceed their expectations in terms of they are going to go over their win total. They're probably going to make a bowl game, and I like if you told me before the season that Colorado makes a bowl game, I would have said that is. One of the biggest blown expectations in terms of a you know a, a positive success story that I would have heard for probably the entire college football season. So props to Dion for everything that he's doing. They were supposed to lose this game. They're playing against USC this coming weekend. They're going to get blown out at USC again. Okay, that's going to happen. I can promise you that because Colorado's not on that level yet. They're not there yet. And I think that they will be. Give Dion a few years to get his recruits in there. He's going to start recruiting at an insane rate. They're going to have NAL. The whole thing. They're moving to the Big Twelve. Colorado will be really good in a few years. Colorado was not supposed to be good this year, but they're doing better than we thought. And I think that's probably what we need to come out of this story or, or come out of the kind of the, you know, the, 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 this, the, you know, this weekend thinking in terms of, you know, what the long-term expectations are for Colorado. Quickly, Florida State Clemson. It was uh, it was a very interesting game. Clemson pretty much dominated. Clemson should have won this game. Uh, they were up twenty four to seventeen. Florida State gets a, a fumble return touchdown after an absolutely crazy hit on Cade, Cade Klubnick. A uh, guy comes out of nowhere and absolutely decks Cade Klubnick. He fumbles the ball. Florida State returns it for a touchdown, ties it up. No scoring in the fourth quarter. It goes to overtime. Well, actually, no. There was no scoring in the fourth quarter, but there should have been. Um, and it was a field goal that was like a twenty six yard field goal, which is a chip shot, and the guy missed it. And then uh, Florida State gets the ball first in overtime. They score a touchdown. Clemson has to go for a touchdown. They miss it on fourth down, and they lose the game. And the overwhelming story coming out of this game is that uh, Clemson should have won this game. Okay, And the reason that they didn't is because that kicker that I just said that missed that field goal, they brought him in that week, like like five days before this game, because they didn't have another kicker on the, on the team. I think their other guy got hurt or whatever. And this just goes to show you that Clemson, which has been a powerhouse in college football for the last better part of the 10 years now, is is they are again Dabo Sweeney, who's their head coach and you know one of the best coaches really ever, but especially, you know, for at least for you know current coaches right now and everything like that. He is against the transfer portal. He is against bringing players in from other schools because he believes in you know his grassroots bringing his guys, recruiting them, you know, bringing them up through the ranks, you know, getting their turn to start and play and everything like that. And um, and this is what happens when you don't utilize the transfer portal. And it's and, it, and I understand where he's coming from, right? It's, oh, the, you know, the sport's changing too much. We're going to go, we're going to be old school. We're going to still win games. And they have for the better part of the last few years. But we haven't seen them competing for national championships ever since they, you know, won their last one when Trevor Lawrence was there. And, and, and I think that's indicative of the fact that, like, the transfer portal is – it's 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 the biggest impact on on you know in, in college football this right now like as a sport right I just talked about Colorado and how well over expectation they're performing the reason that nobody thought they were going to be good is because they took so many so many transfer portals and the reason that they are good now is because those transfer portal kids actually did well right in a game against Florida State Clemson played Florida State this past weekend the game that I'm talking about right now Florida State had 17 transfer portal you know, athletes come in and play for them this year. Clemson at zero, right? So, like, despite all the stuff with the kicker and the, okay, whatever happened, the craziness and the Clemson should have won that. Imagine if Florida State has zero of those guys performing in that game. Clemson wins this game easily, man. And so this is what it used to be. Clemson used to have this type of stranglehold 
on the entirety of college football landscape, and that's when they were getting the college football playoff, and that's when they were beating Alabama and winning national championships, and it's not happening anymore because Dabo Sweeney decides that he doesn't want to utilize the transfer portal, and that's really what is giving a lot of teams success so far, um, you know, in this era of, of college football. So um, a very interesting, well, it will be very interesting to kind of see where we go from here in terms of Clemson's fate in the realm of college football as it stands right now. We know the ACC is now kind of a little bit forgotten, or at least it's, it's, it's not at least one of the, you know, the, the, the power two conferences, the SEC and the Big, Big Ten going forward. Um, but right, I mean, they, they lost this game and a game in which they should have won to obviously Florida State's a better team, right? Overall, better talent, you know, everything. But Clemson was unranked and Florida State was number three. And the spread on this game was two and a half points. Okay. It was supposed to be basically an even game and it was played like an even game. And now Clemson comes out of this game two and one or two and two, I think, um, on the season. Florida State's four and oh, and they're riding high and they're still a top five team. Whereas Clemson. They're, they're licking their wounds and they're thinking, uh-oh, like, are we going to lose more games now this season? And I think that's an exact, uh, a direct result, I think, of, of Debo Sweeney not being, um, not really not being with the times is kind of the best way to describe it and not, you know, not utilizing the transfer portal as a lot of these other colleges are, like Florida State, uh, like LSU, you know. So, uh, so, so it'll be interesting to kind of see going forward for the college football season. I was going to do a Heisman segment. I was also going to talk about the NBA Damian Lillard. I said that in the intro, but uh, I've clearly clearly outdone myself here and talked for over an hour about just like a couple teams in the NFL and three college football games. So um, all that being said, I will have an, a Heisman update next week, which I think it was interesting because I'm going to kind of just brief it now. Uh, Michael Penix Jr., who's the quarterback for Washington, passed Caleb Williams as the favorite to win the Heisman right now. But we have Caleb Williams playing against Colorado this coming week. Washington actually has a pretty tough game, I think, against uh, – I forgot who they're – Oh, they're playing Arizona. Oh, they're pretty big favorites, but we'll see what, what happens there. So I'll do a Heisman segment next week as well as kind of, you know, previewing the, or well, I guess recapping the Damian Lillard trade, what it means for the Bucks, what it means for uh, the Blazers. The Suns were also in this trade, by the way. And so we'll kind of get into all that next week as well as kind of an NBA preview because that'll be, I think, the week before it starts. So I think that'll probably work out well in terms of being able to kind of preview the season uh, right before we start. So with that all being said, uh, thank you so much for listening. As I said in the intro, Please leave a rating on the show. Rate it five stars. Rate it one star. I don't really care at this point. You know, we're just kind of, kind of trying to grow the show. Um, please let me know how well I'm doing or how how badly I'm doing. Whatever, whatever works. Um, if you want to email us, email firstdown.rundown at gmail.com. Um, I'm pretty sure that's it. If it comes back and it says that it's the wrong one, um, then then just uh, I don't know. Leave a rating on the show and tell us that that's the wrong one, and we'll figure it out. Because I know Hayden all Hayden kind of controls all that stuff, and I'm just I'm just going from the hip right now. I'm just this is all off the dome, so. Uh, So, yeah, so thank you so much for listening to this episode, um, and we will catch you next week.